Hey, Skeeters fans, Ryan Posner here. On today's episode of Down in Sugarland, my co-host Brandon McArthur and I will discuss how spring training is going for the Astros. We'll also share some of our great memories with the late legend Pedro Gomez. And later we interview the seven-time Sung Award winner Roger Clemens. Then we wrap it up with our first ever segment of Toasty Takes. Hit the music, Troy. Looking to relocate? Then contact Nick DeRose for any of your real estate needs in the Dallas Metroplex area. For more information, give them a call at 469-283-8360. DeRose Dallas Realty. Cowboy by nature. Agent by trade. All right, fellas. So uh, podcast number one out of the way. We are in the podcast sphere. Um, really appreciate everyone that listened to episode number one. Um, you know, it, it, the first one getting out of the way, it was we were all nervous to hear how it sounded. I think it all went well. Um, we had even had some listeners, Brandon, reach out to us with uh, some comments, which made me feel good. You know that they're listening all the way through it, and they were mostly commenting on what they kind of wanted to see maybe out of this new rivalry we had with Round Rock. And uh, what, did, what, did, what did you see from them? Yeah, I threw it out to the listeners to name the trophy that could go between us and the Express. And a couple that I really liked, one was the Silver Star. I think that's very iconic, very Texas. And then the other one was the Canon, which, again, very Texas, everything like that. Now, I had a different plan with the Canon. I think instead of it actually being one that you would fire a cannonball out of, you make it a, just a outfielder's arm, and that's what they're holding up there, just a golden <laughs> severed arm that they just hold up in pride. I, I love that idea, and I, I think that's out of the box, very minor league. I mean, that's, that's that falls in line, and yeah, I mean, there's all different kind of ways you can take this rivalry. Yeah, there's there's three Texas teams, so we could do the El Paso, Round Rock, Skeeters rivalry, or, you know, I mean, just keep it right here. You got the Rangers and Astros affiliates. We can keep it right here. But um, thanks again, everyone that listened and commented. And, you know, hopefully after this episode as well, you know, let us know what you think, and we'll uh, we'll try to shout you guys out while we listen. And, uh, you know, the Astros, they are continuing spring training right now. Uh, it's, it's about, I guess you could kind of call it a little past the midway point. As we head into this week and um you know brandon who are some of the guys you know i know you've really been watching them pretty closely here over the last week or so who are some guys that are standing out to you so they come in about three eight and one they actually have one tie in spring training so far there's been a lot of questions of who will be the leadoff hitter and you've been seeing them throw out a variety of guys including altuve correa straw as well but some people that have been standing out for is, is a lot of these guys that are fringe guys. When I mean by fringe, who's going to take that 26th spot? Abraham Toro is one that jumps out at me. He's hitting 364, two RBIs through six games. He's actually battling with Robel Garcia for that final spot. But Abraham, like Garcia, he's a switch hitter, decent power from both sides. He can also spray the ball over the yard, so he can hit for bases as well, hit for power. He's just really tough if you want to play the shift against him because he has that back control, everything like that. He also can play multiple positions as well. He'll probably be slotted more at third base, but in today's game, you have to play beyond just one position. He and Garcia, they're mimicking players. And actually, Dusty Baker uh, touched on it in the postgame conference where he said it's kind of between these two guys. And the reason is their skill set's so similar. So if you're a Skeeters fan, be on the lookout because you might see both of these guys drip in and out depending on how hot they're swinging the bat. I think you you kind of set that up perfectly because it really is that last spot on the roster. Uh, it's going to be one of those two guys. Um, Robel Garcia has come on really strong in the spring. He was a guy that they claimed off waivers from the Angels. 
uh, before spring got going, like right before the players reported. And Abraham Toro, he's a name that Astros fans are pretty familiar with. He's kind of got the folklore uh, legend behind him. He was a big part of the Justin Verlander no-hitter in Toronto, had a home run, made a nice defensive play. So they're probably a little more familiar with Abraham Toro, but the thing about Rabel Garcia that may even give him the edge in the end is that he can play shortstop. I don't believe Abraham Toro is a is a shortstop. He's more of a corner guy. Um, Rabel Garcia, a little more versatility, um, but both are having a great spring. I mean, they're both putting up pretty solid numbers. So touching on Garcia, he has a crazy background. He actually didn't play baseball in 2014 or 2015 he ended up playing baseball in italy for a little while he was scouted by the cubs he played for the cubs uh he played 31 games for the cubs in 2019 but he spent most of his time in triple a iowa same thing switch hitter can hit from power from both of the sides he can play all over the infield but dusty mentioned exactly what you touched on the fact that he can play shortstop and also he's a better outfielder as well he's six foot 195 kid from the dominican republic He's somebody that will be exciting to watch. I think that'll be a really interesting matchup between him and Toro and who's going to want it more down in the end. Yeah, and I mean, it's good It's good to have both those guys, you know, as options and very versatile pieces. Um, and Robel Garcia, if you go to YouTube, you can actually find him. He has, he did lessons on how to speak Italian. Um, that got brought up in one of his first interviews. Uh, Mark Berman from Fox 26 brought that up. So um, he, he noted that, you know, Spanish and Italian, they, they are closely related. They're in the language tree, I guess. So... Uh, there's there's some uh, cool stuff about that. He seems like a pretty good character. But uh, Brandon, we do now. I mean, officially have our first two players that were, or I guess three technically that were assigned to the Skeeters. Um, cut for minor league camp, the Astros uh, assigned Raleigh Farrell, a right-handed reliever. Nivaldo Rodriguez, who's a right-hander as well. Um, Alex Santos, who was the top draft pick for them last year, and then Forrest Whitley, who was. Going to probably start on the injured list. They're still waiting to confirm that. But um, Navaldo Rodriguez is a guy who played in the majors last year. Uh, actually got his first strikeout. I find this interesting. I always wonder who the first strikeout everybody got was with. And his was against Cody Bellinger, former National MVP. Um, pitched out of the bullpen, but he had been a starter. And he's one of those guys the Astros added, added as a uh, late add on the 40-man roster to protect him from the Rule 5 uh, draft. Uh, a young guy, he'll probably, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if he works out of the bullpen for the Skeeters or if he starts in the rotation. Um, but also beyond the guys that we just had, who are Riley Farrell and um, Nivaldo Rodriguez, there are a few other guys, I mean, that we might see this year that are really making some pretty big statements early on in spring training. Yeah, you kind of touched on it where the Astros are going to have a, a very interesting middle relief kind of rotation that they're going to have out there. And it's going to be one where you're going to see a lot of guys, I think, slotted in, and then they're going to throw whoever's arms are hot at the moment. One guy that stands out is Blair Henley. He's actually somebody that's from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He was the seventh round in the 2019 draft. He was actually originally drafted by the Yankees out of high school, but declined. He went off to UT. Uh, in high school, this guy was a stud. He actually threw three straight no-hitters in high school his wow. senior year uh, and then went on to UT was a three-year starting pitcher. He actually came out of the pen occasionally. Uh, it was mostly in the College World Series, but when he came out, he was lights out. This is a guy that I think will flirt a lot, probably more with double-A, and but he's going to be interesting in terms, he's that starting pitcher caliber, but also solid in mid, middle relief as well, like an Andrew Kashner type of player where he can do so much. I, I think he's going to be really exciting to watch. Another person, Hunter Brown. Again, 
a guy that's oh, probably yeah. going to start in double A. He's their number three prospect overall for the Astros. Fifth round pick in 2019. Big right-hander. Can just throw straight gas off that mound. He also has really nasty breaking ball that can start out with the letters and then just end up in the dirt on a drop. I think between those two guys, if you're Astro fans looking out of what's going to be your future, those are two names that immediately jump off the page. Yeah, Hunter Brown's a name if you're an Astros fan. Obviously, you're probably pretty aware of him. He was a top pick in 2019, and he's going to be a guy that you're going to have your eyes on as he's kind of going to be in that next wave of Astros prospects that are come through the system. And, you know, it, it, it's very cool now it, it, in a way, you know, you don't obviously want to see injuries, but now that when Astros injuries occur, it, it is interesting that it, how it affects us here in Sugarland. Um, Framber Valdez, who was going to be one of the top of the rotation guys for them, um, is dealing with a, a broken finger. Um, Forrest Whitley, he, he's dealing with some arm trouble as well. There's no clarification quite exactly what his timetable is going to be. But you see that the Astros signs Jake Odorizzi. But there's a guy in like a guy like Luis Garcia who might have been the opening day starter for the Skeeters had the season started on time. And maybe even at the May 6th point, Luis Garcia may be asked to pitch big innings in Minute Maid Park before he even gets a chance to come out here. Um, but that, that's one of the cool dynamics I've, I've found here, um, it's going on as well. But one guy in particular who I, I do believe we will see here in Sugarland to start the year, he's still waiting to make his debut, uh, middle infielder Alex Degatti. I mean, and I, and I say this, you want to keep it in a nutshell, the spring training numbers, you have to take them for what they are. They're spring training. Um, but guys do win jobs in spring training. Um, that that's a thing as well. And he's hitting 385 <laughs> through his first 10 games and he's got a couple of doubles a triple uh he's driving in a, driving in a few runs he's got five rbis which is tied for the team lead so far so alex degatti a guy who's been in the system for a while having a nice little spring so far so i will check you on that because i had to double check and look at his last name and he actually prefers to pronounce it degotti so like the goat of all time i that's, prefer that's, it that that's anyway that's great that's, right and thank you for correcting me uh, pronouncing names is that is paramount so degotti is an interesting player he's 26 years old kid out of uh, from miami florida but 26 you don't necessarily think old <laughs> but in the terms of minor yes. league he's been in the minor leagues this entire time hasn't really reached mlb so they look at that 26 years of age and especially going into this season they start to make that decision is he mlb caliber or is he kind of a minor league lifer and which stinks is because Degoti is somebody that probably could be on an MLB roster if he wasn't playing on the Astros. Just ahead of him is Bregman, Correa, Altuve. A little bit harder to crack that than, say, anybody else around the league. So he gets kind of knocked being down in the minor leagues. But last year, for he actually played for AAA Round Rock Express. He had an incredible season. He hit 277, his second highest overall in his career. I mean, he's a career 262 hitter, on-base percentage of 347. Absolute stud. Great pop in his back. Can hit for power. He can hit for bases. And my favorite thing about him that I keep reading is how fantastic his personality is. Everybody has mentioned that every locker room that he's in, all the players love him and the fans love him. He's going to be somebody at, when he plays here at Constellation, I think is going to be an instant recognition for the Sugarland Skeeters. Yeah, I think he'll be he'll be a fan favorite. We'll hopefully, hopefully get him here on the podcast as, as well. A couple of the guys doing pretty well early on. Brian De La Cruz, another guy who's as an outfielder, probably going to be out here to start the year. There's a lot of guys on the outfield. Uh, Steven Sousa Jr., another another person as well. Chaz McCormick, those guys are kind of fighting for that last, last outfield spot. So 
De La Cruz right up there, five ribbies in the spring so far as well. And he's huge. That's the one thing about all these Astros prospects. These guys are massive. They're <laughs> yeah. not really built like your typical scrawny shortstop. Instead, they all look like Aaron Judges, just humongous guys. And touching on Steven Souza Jr., he had a horrific injury early in his career. In fact, his first surgeon told him that his career was in jeopardy and that he probably will never be able to straight, uh, straighten his leg out. And so he saw a second opinion, and it was the same doctor that did the surgery for Cozart, and he gave him a much better timetable. And in fact, Sousa Jr. talks about how his quote-unquote comeback from that injury, a lot of it is thanks to that doctor getting him back on. Now, he is somebody that is typically plays right field. He did for the Cubs for a while as well. But Dusty's been playing him at first base, and what a lot of people don't realize is he actually entered baseball as a shortstop, massive shortstop-looking guy. Very but big shortstop. In the minor leagues, he played four years of infield and spent a whole entire season actually playing first base. So it's not it's not something completely new to him. He can go outfield, infield, and I think because of that dynamic and that pop in his bat, he probably will make the 26 spot roster yeah i mean he's got the name value as well i mean he came up with the nationals and the rays i mean he was a big time power bat a guy you might hit 30 home runs and the idea that he could provide a little versatility to play some first base especially if jordan alvarez they're trying to keep him off his feet and have him only dh that's that's a big spot also a guy too jose siri who signed as well in the minor as a minor league free agent i mean jose siri is a guy who was a top 10 prospect with the reds perennially um, and now maybe just hasn't really gotten his first chance at a major league roster. We talk about power and speed. He's like a 2020 threat waiting to happen. So Siri actually spent seven years in the Reds organization. They signed him at 17 years old. He was let go by the Reds, picked up by the Mariners, then made his way to the Dominican leagues before he finally signed with the Astros. And like you said, 25 years old, and he has a lot of tools, big athletic body, hits for power, has incredible speed on the base paths, really reliable glove. Uh, he struggles with making good contact, but when he does make contact, boy, look out. He's going to be somebody that has a lot of pop in his bat. Very interesting prospect going forward. I think a lot of exciting things will come from Siri. Yeah, he's in 267, has a uh, has a dinger and a couple RBIs. And uh, I don't know if anyone out there uh, follows John Boy on Twitter. He was he was the subject of a breakdown from John Boy and him and Yadi and Molina were going at it, which I, I love in spring training, having a couple uh, little cat and mouse game between uh, Siri, who, I mean, that's a guy who stole steals 40 bases usually in the minor leagues and uh and obviously Yadi and Molina one of the greatest catchers if not the greatest catcher to ever do it as well so we're uh gonna wrap this segment up Astros spring training talk again obviously these numbers are take them with what they are but we're excited to kind of get a better idea who might be on our roster now when we come back though we are going to discuss the late Pedro Gomez and the impact he had on me and Brandon and as really all of us here with the Skeeters we had a special time here to interact with him in 2019 and we are going to go over that when we're back here down in Sugarland. Ryan and Brandon back in just a moment. Baseball is back at Constellation Field and full season ticket deposits are now available. May 20th is just around the corner and you won't want to miss exciting baseball this summer as the Skeeters enter their first season as the AAA affiliate of the Houston Astros. For more information, visit SugarlandSkeeters.com and be one of the first to reserve a seat. All right, welcome back to Down in Sugarland, and uh, Brandon wanted to take some time here. Uh, a man that really made a big impact on my life and and the in a, the lives of a lot of baseball fans around the world, um, and and that was Pedro Gomez, who unfortunately passed away um, on Super Super Bowl Sunday, and and, and a guy that 
Um, you know, I, I came up with a journalism background and I, I had a lot of love for journalists in high school and college. Maybe when people, that wasn't something that a lot of high schoolers or college students were thinking about. And he was a guy I always admired, um, on ESPN, he just seemed to always have great relationships with players. Um, and we got a chance to actually meet him out here in Sugar Land. Um, but I just wanted to throw it to you before we get into that, Brandon. I mean, he's a guy that he's on that on the, that Mount Rushmore. He's the guys you think of when you think of ESPN stand-up reporting. Um, obviously, he was a big part of the Barry Bonds home run chase. Um, he's, he's one of those guys you just associate with professionalism and, and baseball reporting. Every time I turned on ESPN, especially for baseball segments, you waited for Pedro. He was such a big name, and we got to spend some amazing time with him. When he when he introduced himself to us, that was what was incredible because, of course, we know who you are. We work in baseball. We grew up in the era right when he was really peaking at ESPN, and he was just so friendly. And I know listening into all the coverage of everybody that's reached out on ESPN and Twitter, they all mentioned the same thing, his kindness. And when he came into the booth with us, he was down to play funny, weird segments. I mean, we asked him questions like, what smells better, you know, pine tar or the fresh cut grass? Like, and he answered the questions as if they threw it to him on Center. And every time we kept asking him, do you mind staying for three innings? And his response every single time was, whatever you guys need. And he generally meant that. He would have sat there in the booth with us the entire game if we just asked. Yeah. And to provide a little, a little background here, Pedro Gomez uh, reached out to me via email um, regarding a player named Jared Mitchell, who played for the Skeeters in 2019. Jared Mitchell, who is a legend around the LSU parts. He's one of the few players to ever win a football national championship and a baseball national championship. He also was, weirdly enough, drafted right in front of Mike Trout. And it was the 10-year anniversary of Mike Trout being drafted. And Pedro, being the great journalist reporter he was, took such a unique angle to that 10-year anniversary of Mike Trout. Like, who's the guy who got picked in front of Mike Trout, and where was he? And that was Jared Mitchell. He was, he was with us with the Skeeters. And, um, you know, I was doing cartwheels. Our producer, Troy, and our former graphic designer, Shay, they were in the control room. And I ran in there, and I said, you will not believe you just emailed me. And, like, my, I get goosebumps thinking about that moment because it was just one of the best moments of, of my career. And... As Brandon mentioned, you know, he came out to do the story. Um, I believe it was like a Wednesday or a Thursday night, and I, I, I said, "Hey, man, I hate to have to ask you to do this, or if you if you're okay with it, but like, can you come on the broadcast with us?" Um, that was something that I had really wanted, and I didn't know how he would react to it. And like you said, Brandon, he reacted to it with the great, the most kindness. He was ready to help us out wherever, and you know, we started to get, to get in this discussion about minor league baseball and his son Rio, who pitched at the University of Arizona and is still within the Boston Red Sox organization. And he just had such a great perspective on what it's like to be a minor leaguer. Um, and he, he talked to us on the broadcast about that. I got an email from you about three weeks ago, and I saw Pedro Gomez and said, please give me a call on my cell. And I, <laughs> I, I sprung out of my seat. Even you mentioned, like, My, wow, my phone I, rang like 18 <laughs> seconds later. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I, I called you right away. And you mentioned, I mean, part of the you, – you, you realize right away that this is kind of a story that – is sensitive because Jared, you know, Absolutely. has not made his way to the majors. But you also explained how your son has worked his way up from the minor leagues, and you you could you could empathize kind of more than maybe any other reporter out there can possibly no, do for this subject. No question. Um, having a, a son who was drafted two years ago in the 2017 draft as a very low pick, by the way, 36th rounder out of the University yeah. of Arizona. But two years later, he has risen four levels 
within the Red Sox organization to high A. He just was promoted last week to high A, awesome. Salem, Virginia. And and I, I, look, the, the amount of work that goes in, the number of players that are released in front of you, in back of you, everywhere, um, it's, it's such a very difficult profession to try to be a professional baseball player. So having, you know, seen it up close through my son uh, on a day-to-day basis, basically, um, I can purely, you know, yeah. understand a lot of what Jared has gone through. Yeah, and just the the candor he had with us, the amount of time he spent, uh, me and Brandon did the broadcast that night, and uh, man, just gone way too soon. It's one of those that hits you like a, a pound of bricks. Um, we'll, we'll miss him terribly, um, and, and what, what a great time we had with him. So the one thing that I regret so much in the booth with that is it was the pinnacle of the highlight for me when I look back on my play-by-play duties, it was calling that game with him. And the one thing that I regret so tremendously much is if you listen back to that game, the microphone that I'm on is at decimal 14,000. Like it was just blaring through the speakers. And I remember Troy was sending me a message like, dude, your mic is so hot, like way too loud. And I was thrown off my game the entire time. I was already so nervous with him in there. And I think if you listen back to the first question I asked him, I was like, okay, we're going to play a uh, weird, funny segment with Pedro where we ask him questions. I was like, Pedro, what's the best thing on the menu? Ice cream, ice cream and a helmet or, um, and, and hot dog. And like, and like, I'm trying to read the message and he was like, well, I guess I would say ice cream since it's on there twice. <laughs> and so it was just one of those things where I died laughing, thinking back to it. But, oh, my God, man, that was a situation where it was supposed to be my best moment. And all I kept thinking was, like, I think this guy thinks he's calling the game with somebody who's, like, want to make a wish foundation dream to come call this with him. It was horrifyingly embarrassing for me. But, man, I'll treasure that forever. I really will. Well, yeah, we, we we did. We had to do some some gymnastics just to get you on the air that night because we're not. Our broadcast was not meant to have three people on the air, and uh, you in particular, Brandon, you won't give. I'll I'll brag for you. I mean, you you pretty much engineered that night, so you made it possible because I was busy with Pedro and you know down in the clubhouse. Um, we had uh, Mark Lowe, who had pitched um for the Rangers for a long time, the Seattle Mariners, a name that uh, Astros fans might actually recognize being in the division, and just. A, like he knew him. Like he and that and Mark Lowe is a, a middle reliever in the major leagues. And Mark Lowe knew Pedro. Pedro knew Mark Lowe. And um, I mean, his career, he he was very close if uh with Jose Canseco. He came up and he started in, in Sacramento and um covering those A's teams, the Bash brothers. And I mean, his his career and, and and going to Barry Bonds, I mean, he just such a like a, a Forrest Gump-ish character. Believe it or not, it goes way back with Jose. They actually grew up in Miami together, and he was a year ahead of Jose in the same high school. So they really knew each other. And in fact, you're right. Uh, Pedro, he went on to be the reporter for the A's during that Canseco and McGuire years. And he said being on the road with them was like following the Rolling Stones. I mean, yeah. I mean, and then and then to go and cover Barry Bonds' home run chase when he, he was chasing down Hank Garen. I mean, a phenomenal career, as we can all agree. I mean, gone way too soon, and and we'll miss him, uh, miss him dearly. And you know, his, his legacy lives on with Rio Rio Gomez as his son, who's a lefty in the Red Sox organization. But had to absolutely spend some time here talking about how great of a man he was, and how kind and compassionate he was, and and we'll miss him dearly. And uh, when we come back now, we will have an interview. With the seven-time Cy War winner Roger Clemens joining down in Sugarland. Looking to relocate? 
then contact Nick DeRose for any of your real estate needs in the Dallas Metroplex area. For more information, give them a call at 469-283-8360. DeRose Dallas Realty, cowboy by nature, agent by trade. All right, welcome back to Down in Sugarland. We are joined by an incredibly special guest, the one and only seven-time Cyan Award winner, former Houston Astro, Roger Clemens. Roger, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. You bet, guys. Thanks for asking. So you, we were talking a little earlier. You're just coming back from spring training. Your, your son Cody's getting after it with the Tigers there uh, in their camp, and you spent some time in Orlando around some other teams. Uh, what was that like uh, being down there working with them? It, it's great. I, I enjoy working with uh, when, when any of my former four clubs asked me to come down and maybe visit with the coaching staff or the minor league pitching staff, uh, their prospects. Um, I enjoy doing it. I'm, you know, you're not giving away any trade secrets. It's really just you give them insight, uh, you know, of, of my uh, my minor league um, game, you know, the time I spent in the minors. Um, visit with them about uh, my first couple big league spring trainings, you know, the how, you know, comfortable I felt uh, going into those camps. And, and um, you know, some of these guys are high round draft picks and they're, you know, in college or maybe even high school, they're, they're, you know, big fish in a small pond, if you will. And when they, when they get to a big league camp scenario or situation like that, you, 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 you see your surrounding teammates uh, that are all really good. Everybody can throw hard for the most part. Everybody can run fast. They do a lot of things well. And, um, you just have to really, um, you know, bring your focus up a little bit. I tell them to bring their focus up a little bit and, you know, trust what they're doing. I mean, it's baseball. Once you, you know, simplify everything and bring it down, it's baseball. And mm -hmm. as far as the pitching goes, I just tell the guys to try early in spring to attack the strike zone so you're not behind in the count all the time and uh, and trust your stuff. So it's simple stuff, stuff that everybody's heard before. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's, you know, sometimes it's hard for it to sink into to certain players. Well, that's awesome. I mean, it's amazing that, you know, you're such a good resource for them. And that's great that you'll, you'll devote the time there. And I mean, in your son, Cody, in particular, man, it really seems like he's knocking on the door there and getting a getting a big league call up with the Tigers. Yeah, Cody's loving it. As you guys know, you guys seen him up close and personal. And uh, he's uh, he's right in there with uh, A.J. Hinch. He loves A.J. A.J. is uh, a, an open book. I mean, that was the first couple comments he made. He said to me about A.J. as far as uh, – you know, his doors open and, and within, you know, midway through camp, which is getting real close to midway through spring training, that he'll really give them a, 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 an, an idea of what uh, the coaching staff and the front office expects out of those players and uh, what their role is going to be and where they, you know, where they see him in the future, if mm -hmm. they can continue to improve and, and, uh, and get better. I mean, um, I mean, one of my, I think one of my, best lines ever is when you win you win and when you lose you learn mm -hmm. and uh that that's what exactly what you have to do when you're playing professional baseball well that's awesome we'll definitely be rooting them on here in sugarland to hopefully see that debut sometime here very soon and uh want to stick with your, with your kids here i mean you've seen three of them get drafted now two of them played at texas like yourself and one of them and kobe you got to pitch to twice uh, i mean how much pride does it give you to the, know that clemens name and your baseball legacy is living on through them yeah, you know, baseball's in our blood. It's part of part of the, you know, part of the family. Um again, as you guys know, we probably talked over uh, uh, many times that uh, we've we've had a chance to chat and um you know, what's most important for me, especially with Casey and Cody uh, 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 uh playing at Texas. They played under, you know, Augie Grito and and coach David Pierce who's there currently at Texas and 
they're great baseball men. I mean, they're great coaches, but they're better teachers of the game. And, and it translates to life lessons off the field. But, um, yeah, I'm proud of them. I'm, I tell them all the time, I'm most proud that they graduated from the McCombs Business School and the Communication School. Mm-hmm. Kobe is teaching now. My oldest one is teaching. He made me a, a, a grand – I'm poppy rocket now. I got <laughs> a four-year-old twin grandsons. And uh, so they're already throwing the ball around, hitting it off the tee. They're, they're watching everybody do their thing. But, you know, baseball is a great game to teach you life lessons and uh, ups and downs. And, you know, it's a game of failures, like everybody says, and, and it's very difficult. What, what, um, what I appreciate about the last 10 days I was in Florida with some of the teams was um, when Cody came back after a few of his games, there's a few high-round picks going through their first uh, spring training. A little odd for them because, you know, with the COVID and everything that shut everybody down, um, they really didn't get to put a uniform on uh, unless, as you know, um, I thought it was fantastic. And it, I think it's showing with the way Cody's hitting. Cody's on a tear, knock on wood in spring training, swinging the, swinging the bat. But we had that Constellation Energy League. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. And guys played, what, 33, 32, 33 games, saw a lot of great left-handed pitching. So he really had to, you know, hang in there. For, you know, Cody hit throws right. He plays second base for the Tigers, throws right, bats left. But it helped both him and Casey. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that and and now a couple of these uh, first round picks are struggling, and they're like, man, I don't, you know, I, I don't even feel like I belong. And Cody's given them, uh, you know, uh, great lessons, man, and and stuff that he's learned already, and how he's learned to cope. And uh, my, again, my oldest one, Kobe, who managed in that league, Kobe teaches and. He's got a great way about him to say the right things to the right kids. Uh, I, I tell the people about my managers even uh, that I had over the years that they were great managers, um, but they knew they knew your personality and they knew how to come at you with your personality and, and what to do there. So very important. And uh, but, yeah, blessed that the boys are playing ball. Love it that they're playing it. And uh, they're they're pretty serious about it. Absolutely. Yeah. I really enjoyed getting to meet you and your entire family over the Constellation Energy League. That was such a great time. But that wasn't actually your first experience with the Skeeters. Uh, for those that may not know, your last professional appearance came with the Skeeters in 2012. Your son, Kobe, was the catcher. I mean, we even had Toby Keith in the dugout and fans are singing Red Solo Cup in between innings. How, how did that all go down? You know, when did you decide, OK, I want to do this? And how did you go about that? Yeah, well, I think we all talked a little bit about it. Um um, you know, Kobe was playing there and, and, uh, it, it, it came about, I, I wasn't really sure if my arm would agree with me doing it, but, uh, I, I was throwing quite a bit and, um, it just seemed like a fun thing to do. We we're going to bring some attention to the league, to the stadium over there in Sugarland, which is a fantastic stadium. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, 20 minutes from the house. And so it just worked out great. But if I was going to do it, I definitely wanted Kobe to catch Kobe was playing some first and third and catching and, um, any, any of my last pitches that I might ever throw in a competitive game, I wanted, uh, Kobe back there to, to catch that. And, uh, but yeah, it was similar to, you know, probably my last time coming out of retirement, you know, I thought, I thought I was retired again. And, and, uh, the guys here in Houston asked me to come out of retirement and we got after it for three years here in my advanced age. I mean, it was really special. I mean, I, I had, you know, I was, I was able to keep my legs and, and uh, my arm uh, underneath me a little bit and, and, uh, and get it done here in Houston. And I mean, to win a Cy Young here at home at my advanced age and go to the world series, it was pretty special three years, but uh, that was just as fun as having, you know, once my buddies, including Toby Keith, like you mentioned earlier, heard that I was going to throw about five innings if I could get through it. 
uh, they all, everybody was flying in to watch the game and uh, just made the festivities even, even better. And, uh, but you know, I'll, I'll, everything aside, when you, as you know, when, once that bell rings and I'm standing out there 60 feet away from a professional hitter, you gotta, mm-hmm. you, know, you gotta have your wits about you. <laughs> yep. And uh, those guys are swinging the bat and coming after, they don't care how old you are. Yeah. That was such a special moment uh, for our organization too. Now as we kind of trans transition here into a new uh, phase here, but got to ask too, I know you and Toby are pretty good buddies. What's your favorite Toby Keith song? Um, Dream walking, and of course, uh, you, the the best one is uh, "I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm good <laughs> once than I ever was." Yeah. I had to feel like that at my advanced age when I went to the mound. <laughs> there you go, love that, love that. So you you know, outside of baseball, you've had a pretty illustrious acting career as well. I mean, you've been on The Simpsons, Spin City, the movie Anger Management, and then we've talked about this before. You've had the most This Is Sports Center commercials made about you, um, but there's one appearance in particular we wanted to center in on. That was in the movie uh, Kingpin. Your character. Gets into a little dust up with Randy Quaid and Woody Harrelson steps in. And I wanted to ask, you know, what was that experience like? I mean, Bill Murray, Woody Harrelson, uh, Randy Quaid. And also, who decided that your character's name was going to be Skidmark? Yeah, how about that? If, <laughs> if they had told me before I flew to Reno to shoot that film, I probably wouldn't have gone. <laughs> but uh, no, it was, it's pretty cool. Peter and Bobby Fairley, the Fairley brothers, they're, they're hilarious. They obviously write some really funny uh, uh, skits and scenes and movies. And and they're great. And, and uh, they're uh, in the New England area, and they 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 always try and get an athlete or two to get in get in there. And actually, what happened was I was supposed to be in Dumb and Dumber. I was going to be Seabass. Oh wow! And I couldn't uh, I couldn't get uh, get out of it to be able to get there to to film that. So I suggested a good friend of mine, Cam Neely, and Cam was with the Bruins and uh, super guy. So Cam took over the role, and they said, "Hey, we're going to get you in a, a movie at some point." And I said, "All right, just let me know." And uh, a couple of years later, whatever it was, I get a phone call from him and say, hey, we're going to fly you to Reno. You're in this movie. We're doing this movie, Kingpin, and you're going to be a, uh, a truck driver that comes into a, uh, to a truck stop. And your girlfriend, current girlfriend, is dancing with, uh, with uh, one of the guys, which was Randy Quaid. And so that's where it was at. But it was it was fun. I mean, we uh, you, you, you get on set and, of course, you meet everybody. They're all big sports fans. So it was fun to to, you know, hang out, play a little basketball with Woody Harrelson and, and, uh, see the guys. And we did, uh, we did, uh, it didn't take too long. We were there two days, actually two nights. Cause we actually got on location at about 10 PM. We filmed till like one in the morning. It was oh, wow. night shoots. And, uh, we did like five lines, you know, with, uh, there was no swearing for TV. And then you go into the rated R stuff and they said it'd probably be rated R because Woody Harrelson has pretty much already let it, let it fly a few times and they're <laughs> going to use it. So, uh, but it was fun. We, we did some good takes and, uh, they dressed me all up. I had a truck driver hat on earring on some tattoos. I mean, they, they did it up, but you're right. They, they said, uh, your, uh, your name for the, your, for the movie is Skidmark. And I said, thanks for the, thanks for giving me a great nickname. <laughs> oh, that was so. great. Yeah. I got to shout out my producer, Troy, cause I actually hadn't seen the movie yet. He's like, man, you got to ask uh, him about that. Yeah, no, there's, I'm telling you what pods, there's been times where, um, I went to the. I was walking to the bullpen to warm up after that movie came out, and I would hear people in the stands even yell at Skidmark. Oh they wouldn't. They wouldn't. They wouldn't yell Rockets. They'd yell Skidmark. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's great. That's that's some good yeah. good uh, information right there. Um, you know, your your pitching numbers over your career speak for themselves. I mean, in my opinion, and the opinion of most, I mean, you're one of the greatest, if not the greatest, pitchers to ever live. So I wanted to go a different direction and ask about your hitting stats. I mean, in 05, I was looking it up, man. You posted a pretty respectable 207, four ribbies. I mean, give me the the Roger Clemens hitting approach. And was there a, a bat in your career that you kind of remember uh, in specific? 
my hitting approach was look fastball middle. And if it looks like a fastball coming down the middle, swing as best you can at it and hope you hit it. So I was, I did take pride in my bunting. Uh, we got the, you know, being in the American League the whole time, I didn't, I obviously didn't get to go to the plate much. But when we get close to interleague play or we knew October was coming, uh, about two weeks before playoffs, we would start showing up early at the field and our pitching coach or whoever the batting coach would throw. And we did, we did a lot of situation uh, bunting. So that was super important. And uh, shoot, I can tell you a story. When I came to the National League with the um, Astros, uh, one of the baseball biggest, the, I think one of the finest baseball men around that know the game through through Jimmy Williams uh, was our manager. Jimmy, uh, I roll into spring training and, you know, here I am with, I don't know, six Cy Youngs, whatever my credentials. He grabs me. Uh, I, I would go in about 7.30 to do my distance running before most of the team got there around 9 a.m. And Jimmy would grab me and said, let's go to the cage. And he, I would swing, I would probably swing at maybe 20 pitches to swing at, but what we mainly did was bunt. And he, and he just flat out told me, he goes, look, even at your age, and we're going to watch your pitch count. If I know that you can get a bunt down your second or third time at the plate, you can get a, and I can trust you to bunt. Um, it's going to, it'll end up being, uh, he, he, he thought it would be, uh, would would evaluate and would lead to about five wins uh, on the year for me because he wouldn't have to pull me in a tie game or a, you know if we're behind by one run he could leave me in there a chance to uh, continue and and get a win and he was exactly right so and what that did was the the other guys that were coming in at eight thirty eight forty five I was coming out of the batting cages with my Astros uh, undershirt my t shirt soaked. And the other guys started seeing it, and it kind of prompted them that, hey, I need to get out of bed a little bit earlier and get over here. Next thing you know, I had three or four of the other pitchers uh, doing the program with me. That's crazy. I mean, that's that's a really interesting perspective, too, from Jimmy Williams. You, you don't really think about that. Like, hey, get a bun down, stay a few extra innings, and you get a winning decision. So that's really, really good insight. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, I know a lot of players, I'm sure, you, know, you just talk about being in spring training. When they meet you, you know, they're probably in awe. Like, man, this is the – only guy ever to win seven songs. Was there a player when you first came up that you were kind of awestruck by like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm sharing a field with this guy right now. I don't know if I was ever awestruck about it because I think it's just coming from my background, you know, my, you know, my pops died when I was nine. So I was raised by my mom and my grandmother and two strong willed ladies, but they, they knew I loved the game of baseball and, and really to kind of, you know, somewhat on that lines. Um, I was, I was, uh, after I got drafted out of the university of Texas, I wanted to make it to the big leagues to pitch against Reggie Jackson. Once I knew I was going to be in the in, in there, but Reggie was with the uh, angels. We ended up playing them uh, at some point, but the California angels at the time. And so I wanted to face Reggie Jackson, but it was really cool. I mean, I had some great veteran mentors, uh, you know, Bruce Hurst. He's the one who gave me my nickname, the rocket after the 20 strikeout game and Jimmy rice and, uh, uh, Dwight Evans and, and, uh, Al Nipper. And of course, Boggsy was there. He's just a flat out hit machine. The Duke could hit. <laughs> and, uh, uh, just some great veteran guys that, that, uh, Marty Barrett. I mean, these guys were and Richie Gedman. My catcher was awesome. I mean, we worked so well together. Um, it was just on and on some great teams, uh, and great teammates I've had over the years, but, uh, uh, not, not anybody. I think it was really cool when I first met Ted Williams, of course, and Yaz, Mm -hmm. uh, I got to play nine holes of golf with Mickey Mantle uh, in Dallas. So that was, that was a treat, um, you know, golfing in the, in the Bob Hope event uh, for many years. And I got to play with Yogi Bear 
I mean, there's a yeah. guy that's got 13 championship rings. I mean, come on. Yeah. Oh my so, goodness. Those guys. And then probably the coolest experience for me. I mean, I obviously watched Nolan Ryan, you know, being here from Houston and Texas there, the area, you know, I got to watch Nolan. Not, not a lot of video back then, you know, I'd graduated high school in 80. So I was able to see Nolan pitch a few times in the dome, but I would look at the eight by 10 photos of Nolan and then, uh, what was special for me, um, the Red Sox uh, traded uh, or picked up via trade, I think, Tom Seaver. And if any, as anybody knows, Tom Seaver, anybody knows the game of baseball, mm-hmm. uh, Tom Terrific was the um, ultimate power pitcher. I- I'm a power pitcher. I'm not a power thrower. And I got to watch him uh, pitch. I mean, I'd watch him sit out there about 88 miles an hour. I think he was over 40 years of age also. And uh, get, then next thing you know, he would get second and third and be in a little trouble out there on the mound, and he would whistle a couple 92, 93-mile-an-hour fastballs in there to get him a crucial strikeout. So, um, you know, just impressive to be able to watch that firsthand. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing thinking about, uh, you know, the late Tom, Tom Seaver there um, and getting to see him up close like that. Um, it's kind of funny you mentioned you golf with Mickey Mantle. Who, who's got a better golf game? You or Mickey Mantle? <laughs> Well, Mick was a little bit older then, and it was hot, and uh, I, I was just, I was just, I thought it was. I went up there for two reasons. I had a, I had um, a giant photo blow up of my pitching coach. He was on the mound. Uh, Mickey Mantle hit the longest home run in Yankee Stadium. It was uh, about about five hundred and seven feet, something like that. Almost left the only ball to leave the stadium. It hit the right center field facade at Yankee Stadium. And uh, it was off my pitching coach at the time, which I realized. So I had somebody, I got the photo and had it blown up and I was going there to have Mickey sign it. He knew exactly who the pitcher was and everybody. It was my pitching coach, Bill Fisher, who at the time uh, and uh, still to this day holds the record for, I believe, 91 consecutive innings without walking a guy. Uh, And that's why Fish was, uh, Bill Fisher, my pitching coach was so, when I struck out 20 the first time uh, against Seattle Mariners, I struck out 20 guys, but I didn't walk anybody. And after the game, Fish made note of that to me. He goes, hey, um, you know, I love it that you set the record for strikeouts. He goes, but you realize, and I, I didn't at the time until he told me that you didn't, you didn't walk a single batter. He ends up calling me 10 years later because obviously one of my pitching coach at that time, but I was in Detroit. I was with the Red Sox and we went to Detroit and I, and I tied, my, tied my own record at 20 strikeouts again, and I didn't walk a batter. And he made point of that, but I had Mickey sign the, uh, uh, I had Mickey sign the photo to fish and uh, we played nine holes. And so, yeah, I, back, I, I'm getting a little bit better as I get older for some reason, I guess I'm starting to figure the game of golf <laughs> out, but, um, I was probably back then I was probably a, uh, uh, eight or nine handicap. I played to about a five or six now. There you go. That's just amazing. You know, the rounds of golf, I'm sure you share with people over the years, um, you know, I wanted to kind of ask you here too. I mean, you, you say you grew up in Houston and then you're, you're, you're first, you're going to Boston. I mean, it's a totally different culture up there, d- big media market, all that kind of stuff. Was there like a culture shock? And, you know, how did you overcome that as a young kid going from Houston to Boston? There really wasn't. The transition was pretty cool just for the fact that, you know, playing at the university of Texas, you're expected to win there. So I, I got, um, initiated there pretty quick at Texas. You know, we had a, we had a saying there that at Texas, we don't uh, rebuild, we reload. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we lost, I think we tied for third in the country my sophomore year. And then we lost some great players off that team. Uh, I think the draft took about seven of our guys. 
And um, so we thought it might be uh, tough sledding uh, in 1983. But we come back, uh, myself, Calvin Chiraldi, Mike Capel, Kirk Killingsworth, and a host of other uh, solid players. We came back and got to the World Series. We had to get through some tough regionals against the Mississippi State teams. But yeah. uh, we got to the College World Series, and uh, uh, I beat Alabama 4-3 to three and pitched a complete game. Next thing you know, I got drafted by Boston. I was – Little surprise because um, the Astro Scouts and the Ranger Scouts were all over the, the, during all the um, the uh, you know regionals mm-hmm. and the quarterfinals in, in college. But once I got to Boston, uh, I realized right away this is this is awesome. I mean, people show up, they care, they love their sports. So getting to play for two of the most historic teams and two of the the greatest stadiums ever, Old Yankee Stadium and, of course, Fenway Park. It doesn't doesn't get any better than that. And the history that the guys before me ran around there and working and getting it done, uh, it's it's just amazing. But the the fan base is off the chart. I mean, they they love it. They love their sports. So as a player, you couldn't ask for anything more. Yeah, that's amazing. You had to think of all the different markets you got to play in, different ballparks. I mean, that's it's incredible. Um, well, the last one I had for you here, Roger, was you know your kids are progressing in their pro careers, and as you said, you're, you're poppy rocket now. You got a, a pair of uh, grandkids. I mean, have you have you thought about maybe coaching here down the road, or is that something you haven't really given much thought to? Yeah, I don't really need to because you know I've got um, I've got my foundation, the Roger Clemens Foundation. We had it since 1991. We help at risk kids. Um, I did some stuff with Memorial Herman, our children's wing there. Really loved it. The, the people over Memorial Herman are awesome. And uh, now I'm doing stuff for Insperity. And, you know, we're good busy. Uh, the Insperity family's uh, uh, really cool to be able to work with and, and do things with them. And um, it's just it's just a, a lot of fun. I'm, I tell people I have to unretire to retire again because you, <laughs> you stay, you're staying busy. But uh um, I love kind of what I do when the, when the guys ask me or I get a text from say like, you know, McCullers and he wants to come throw and, and work on a slider here at the house. We've got guys that'll come over here and catch. And so we work with a lot of minor leaguers and pro guys and, uh, you know, I'll give them tips here. here. Some of the tips are, Hey, that looks really good, man. Don't change a thing and don't let anybody change it. Just go out there and compete, man. And, uh, I think that's the biggest thing. Some people try and put their thumbprint on too many guys, I'm not going to throw just like Nolan Ryan or Tom Seaver, but I'm going to find a couple things that they do that work for me. And I'm going to put them into my game and, and I'm going to make them work. So, you know, everybody's not going to throw from 10 o'clock. Maybe they're throwing from 11 o'clock. Maybe they their side armor and uh, you know, they're, you know, they're into the spin rate and all that stuff now too. I mm-hmm. get it, but uh, there's just certain things intangible that you have to have. And, and, uh, and you got to be able to handle failing because you're going to do a lot of it. Yeah, well, it certainly sounds like you're staying busy, Roger. I mean, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk to us here today. I mean, and, and getting to catch up. And I guess hopefully we'll see you out here at the ballpark now as we're the uh, AAA team of your uh, former Astros. I think that's great. It's just down the road now. You're, or, you know, you're 20, 25 minutes away. The AAA guys, if they get called to down to Minute Maid, it's going to be fun. And I'm definitely going to get out to Sugarland quite a bit to watch the guys there. Well, that sounds great, Roger. We're looking forward to seeing you here. Thank you again for the time. That is Roger Clemens, a seven-time signing award winner. We'll be right back in Down in Sugarland in just a moment. The Roger Clemens Foundation is an entity dedicated to helping children. It was established in 1992 by Roger and Debbie Clemens in order to ensure that funds raised by the foundation through golf tournaments, silent auctions, and other events will be properly distributed to the charities and organizations that they have committed to support. For more information on upcoming events and ways to donate, visit RogerClemensFoundation.org.
All right, and that was a interview with Roger Clemens, the former Houston Astro, Boston Red Sox, New York Yankee, tons of great teams he played for. What a celebrated Major League Baseball career. Seven Cy Youngs, the only player to ever do so in the history of baseball. Yes, you heard of that right here. And he was on as our second guest, Brandon. How cool was that to have him on here and kind of give us a lot of you know perspective about fatherhood, his career, and all of this great stuff. I think some of my favorite stories were the non-baseball ones. Golf with Mickey Mantle and how he got him to sign a picture to kind of just troll his former coach. Incredible stuff. I can't imagine what it would have been like to go and just play 18 with good old Mickey Mantle. I mean, he and I had to, I had to ask him about that because, like, Mickey Mantle is obviously his career numbers speak for themselves, but also outside of his numbers, I mean, he just he's one of these larger-than-life baseball icons and – I mean, if if you ask a lot of baseball fans, whether they're Yankee fans or not, if you could play nine holes with a, a former player, I would wouldn't be shocked if Mickey Mantle was in like the twentieth, thirtieth percentile of those answers. I mean, just incredible stories all the way around, and going into his stories about being a father and also seeing his kids grow up playing the game that he loves, you can tell that that's really a big subject for him. That that's probably where he takes more pride in his kids playing ball than he does any one of those Cy Youngs. Yeah, we, we saw it center stage here for the Constellation Energy League and we and Kobe was the manager of Team Texas and Roger was very quick to make sure people knew that Kobe was the manager and he was an assistant coach and Kobe rose to the occasion and I think he's gonna make a great coach down the road. I think I also love how he touched on the fact that because we had the Constellation Energy League, that's why his son right now with the Tigers is getting a big leg up because he's gotten to see real game pitching, sure. real live action, and that's huge. And I think he understands that he's grateful for what the Constellation Energy League did for his kids going forward. 100%. I mean, and, and there's guys like Spencer Torkelson, who was the first overall pick of the draft that, I mean, I don't think he didn't mention him by name, but I mean, you can assume that's who he's talking about. And and Cody Clemens is coming out and outperforming him in spring training, and, and that's a, that's a team you got to keep your eye on. The Tigers are, they're kind of on that that boomerang. They're, they 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 hit the low point. I mean, and now they got guys like Casey Mize. They've got Spencer Torkelson. They still have Miguel Cabrera. I mean, it's it's fun. I, it, it's it's fun for me as a baseball fan I'm, and finding different avenues to root for. And Cody Clemens is certainly one of them. And Tigers hired a new manager that Astro fans are definitely going to know. Yes, kind of following with AJ Hench. So. You're right, right captain at the helm. They could be a team that's worth watching. But, you know, I also loved, and I got to admit, man, I was insanely jealous when he just simply threw in, and it's very casual in the interview, when he was like, you know, pause. And <laughs> when he said that to you, I was like, he's got a nickname for you. I was insanely jealous. You'd think I'd be happy for you because it's like, dude, Roger Clemens just nicknamed my buddy. No, instead I was like, what's my nickname, Rocket? Oh, man. And, uh, I mean, that's growing up. My, my last name is Posner, and I, I was called Paws a lot. I don't think I've ever heard that come out of someone's mouth as cool as Roger Clemens calling me Paws. And, and I remember Troy, we're, we're recording the interview, and I, I kind of like after the interview, I'm like, dude, you call me Paws. That was super <laughs> cool. That was super cool. Yeah, we get it, bro. <laughs> when, when Troy sent me the interview, all I sent back in the text after I listened to it, it was like, why do you call him Paws? I was like, I got insanely jealous when I heard it. I was like, but at the same time, man, that is so awesome. I think also what was more incredible, too, is the stories that Roger threw out with his movie career, Kingpin, but then the big shocker, he was supposed to be Seabass and Dumb and Dumber. That literally blew my mind. Dude, and Seabass is one of the most like iconic characters in that movie, if you think about it. I mean, it's it's something that everyone quotes. I mean, we all know the quote, so uh, I to go from that to Skidmark is 
Probably not as ideal, but I don't know, Brandon, what do you think? What interesting choices he would have gotten. His movie career might have taken a whole different turn, but you're 100% right. When I think of movies that my friends and I started quoting from start to beginning, it probably started with Dumb and Dumber, and especially Seabass's line. My brother and I used to say that to each other all the time before we would start fist fighting. Well, I, I just found it hilarious that he's warming up in the bullpen and he's like, nope, they're not calling me Rocket. They're calling me Skidmark. And <laughs> as someone who I guess hasn't seen Dumb and Dumber, I didn't really understand the significance of it, but I'm glad you guys pointed that out. Are you telling me you have never seen Dumb and Dumber? Ryan Judith Posner. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> it's it's one of the the big blind spots in my movie watching career, and and he he mentioned I, I know it's Jim Carrey, Jeff Daniels, but have I sat down and watched the whole movie? No, and thankfully I didn't because he wasn't even in it. So there you go. Yeah, but it's it's the concept of it. That's an iconic movie that like you sit down with your parents. It's generational that you're gonna watch that movie, and it forever holds up. I don't understand how you... Did you not have basic cable as a kid? Did you not watch through things? It kind of just sounds like Kingpin's a better movie overall. I mean, over the Dumb and Dumber. Is that, is that weird of me to say? I think that's a very toasty take. Toasty! All right, we are going to wrap up this episode with some toasty takes. Troy Young is going to fire off some topics to me and Brandon MacArthur, and we're going to give our hot takes. Troy, what's, uh, what's take number one? All right, so this is some toasty takes here. Uh, let's say your alarm is at 8 o'clock in the morning and you wake up at 7.59. Do you love it or do you hate it? Ryan? Oh, man, I hate that. That I mean, you set your alarm. There are, seems to be a few things in life you truly have, like, a control over, and that is when you wake up in the morning. And to know that, like, you woke up a minute before and you're like, there's no, there's no requiem. You can't go back to sleep. You are getting up. Your day started off involuntarily, and uh, that, for me, that's a huge bummer. Uh, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it so much. I love it. How often do you get to beat time? I'm sure anyone who enjoys waking up to their alarm also likes to hit the snooze button. You're letting time own Truth. you. When you naturally wake up, you earn a small victory. It turns the rest of the day into a dub. Love it. Get it out of here. I'm done with it. All right, that was some toasty takes. All right, we're going to take it a little bit different. We're going to go with best Adam Sandler movie, Brandon. Easy answer, Big Daddy. It's a complete movie. You laugh, you cry, you feel. It's a great to it's a great comedy. <laughs> typically plays to a great comedy movie typically plays to a specific sense of humor, specific audience. But this movie, it actually reaches all demographics and has multiple aspects to it. Big Daddy does a fantastic job hitting all those qualities. I'd even argue this movie allowed us to take Adam Sandler seriously as an actor. Get it out of here. I'm done with it. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's no doubt. It's it's Mr. Deeds. I mean, to start off as a as a middle school or high schooler getting indoctrinated to Space Oddity by David Bowie, via them singing in the airplane, love that. That was a great start to it. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know who John McEnroe was before that movie, but then... All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, John McEnroe, and that was a, that was a rabbit hole in itself. And quite possibly one of the better movies or the better movie characters in any Adam Sandler movie. That's crazy, guys. Steve Buscemi and his weird pizza combinations. It had everything for me. Uh, Winona Ryder, also in that movie, great job. And it, all around, just a great movie. All right, so we just had the interview with Roger Clemens. And, you know, he played with the Red Sox, Blue Jays, Yankees, and Astros. When you close your eyes, 
what do you see as Roger Clemens as, Ryan? All right, don't get mad at me, Astros fans. But when I when I close my eyes, I see Roger Clemens as a Yankee. I mean, that's where he won his two World Series, and um, you can't you can't escape it. New York is the the empire media market, and thinking of, of 9-11 when he's out there pitching for that team as well, and and just the iconic images of Derek Jeter and Roger Clemens. Um, I mean, it would have been a shame if Roger Clemens, you know, in my opinion, the best pitcher of our generation, had never gotten a chance to pitch for the Yankees, one of the most uh, historical franchises. So that's for me. Yankees is a no doubt answer for me. I know this isn't a popular idea, but I think of him as a Blue Jay. Follow me down this rabbit hole. In his two years in 97 and 98, he was 41 and 13. 2.33 ERA, 14 complete games. He won 20 games both the seasons that he was there, including back-to-back All-Stars. You have to think, what hindered him? The rest of the team. In 97, they were 76 and 86. They finished fifth in the AL East. And then in 98, a little bit better, 88 and 74 finished third. So what kept Roger great, or what kept Roger from being even more great in Toronto was the rest of the team. When I think about Roger, I think about those years he was snubbed as a Blue Jay. Get it out of here. I'm done with it. Man, I was wondering where you're going with that at first. But man, Roger, I, I almost Blue forget Jays, he plays with the Blue Jays. Yeah. That is a uh, take. No doubt. That is going to be a wrap for Toasty Takes. Thank you to Roger Clemens for being our guest on this episode. Next week, we have Jeff Blum, the Astros TV color commentator. For my producer, Troy Young, and my co-host, Brandon MacArthur, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. You've been listening to Down in Sugarland.